Our epistle lesson this morning is found in Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 10 through the end of the chapter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incomparable. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for this portion of your scriptures, though it can be difficult at times to know what it, what it says, we ask, Lord, that you would speak, for your servants are listening. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in this portion of your scriptures. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we finally made it to the end of the book of Ephesians this summer, and over the last few months, we've been seeking to instill in you this notion that God is renewing the whole world. And that he's also renewing you personally. He's accomplishing this task of spiritual renewal through his son, Jesus. You are being transformed into the likeness of Christ, which has implications for the various relationships of our lives, relationships in society, in the church, in your home, and at work. Now, you may be thinking... This conclusion seems a bit like a hard shift. We just got done talking about marriage, parenting, and work. Why are we now talking about spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places? I think that the movie No Country for Old Men can give us a bit of an answer. In that movie, Tommy Lee Jones' character, Sheriff Ed Bell, is chasing a merciless hitman named Anton Chigurh. Chigurh is unlike your typical villain. The conventional bad guy operates with some sort of plan or evil intention. He's driven by money or prestige. 
but not Shigur. He seems to be driven by a philosophical compulsion for chaos. He's devoid of conscience or compassion. He's devoid of remorse or regret. When asked just how dangerous is he, Woody Harrelson's character indicates how dangerous he is when he responds, compared to what? The bubonic plague? We learn that Shigur is more like a natural disaster than he is the typical villain. And Sheriff Bell confesses late in the movie to his cousin that he's simply outmatched. He can't contend with the violence that surrounds him. Even though he's lived a whole life in law enforcement, he can no longer contend with this violence. Shigur represents the evil forces of our world that Sheriff Bell simply can't repel. An unconventional force that requires unconventional methods. Now I'd suggest Paul's, Paul takes a similar stance with the forces of evil in the heavenly places here. He concludes his letter this way because he knows that behind the injustice of society, behind the sexual degradation of culture, behind the political backbiting of Republican and Democrat lies an unconventional enemy, a very real, very powerful opponent who seeks to undo all the truth, beauty, and goodness of God's world and of your life. Behind the brokenness of your marriage, the fights with your kids, the quarrels of your workplace, there are sinful inclinations, personal sinful inclinations, but there are also the spiritual forces of evil that in ourselves we are woefully unprepared to challenge. But Paul's exhortation here is simply stand firm. Stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. He says, stand firm against these forces. So what do you need? What do you need in order to stand firm? What do you need to be prepared to face the spiritual forces of evil and to face your own sinful inclinations? There are three things. First, verses 10 through 12 tell us you need strength. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Most of the time when we think of spiritual strength, we think of harnessing some sort of inner, uh, inner resource. Like we have something in ourselves that we're able to draw on in order to be strong individuals. But Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not the normal type of wrestling, but against a different kind of enemy. We're simply outmatched. There's a silent schemer who utilizes the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And you are no match for those forces. I am no match for their forces. We need strength to overcome them because we don't have the inner resources to battle those cosmic powers over this present age. So Paul does not encourage you to look inside yourself and find inner strength. Instead, he calls you to find strength in the one who has power over all powers. 
In verse 10, Paul uses three Greek terms for strength. Strong or power, strength or greatness, and might. I'm not going to go into all of the Greek syntax that would waste our time. He says, be strong or be empowered. This is a a, a passive empowering. God is doing the one empowering you. Be strengthened or be empowered in the Lord and in the strength or the greatness of his might. He uses it three times. Paul used these three terms before. In Ephesians 1.19, he prays that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. God, through his own strength, raised Jesus from the dead and offers you that same resurrection strength so that you would stand firm in the Christian life when confronted with sinful inclinations and the spiritual forces of evil. But not only does God have strength over death by raising Jesus from the dead, But he also seated Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, is what Ephesians 1.20 says. And who is it that we battle, that Paul says here in verse 12? He tells us that it's the rulers, that it's the, the authorities. It's the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces, or the spiritual dominion of evil. It's over these powers that Jesus has power. God has, he sits far above them, ruling over them. And it's only by trusting in the strength of the one who rules these forces that you can resist them, that you can stand firm. So trust Jesus. I know this sounds wildly simple, but it is. Trust Jesus Trust him to supply you with the strength necessary to resist the evil forces of darkness and to resist your own sinful temptations and inclinations. You do need strength, but it's not your strength. It's the strength of Jesus, the one whose power is greater than all powers, all cosmic powers. And then secondly, Verses 13 through 17 tell us you need, you need weaponry. In these verses, Paul lists various pieces of armor and weapons. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. But before we get to the specifics of the weaponry, we must first understand just like Strength is not something inherent to us. So the weapons don't first belong to us. These are not things that we conjure up in ourselves. And Paul's not coming up with pieces of armor and, and weaponry out of thin air. He's not just imagining them as if they were novel. He's stitching together various passages in Isaiah that mention these pieces of weaponry with reference to the Messiah. Isaiah 11.5 mentions the belt of truth. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness or truthfulness the belt of his loins. 
The breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation are mentioned in Isaiah 59, verse 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. The shoes of, of the gospel are, meant, are mentioned in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news or him who brings the gospel. And then the sword of the spirit, Isaiah 49, 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. All these references are to the Messiah, the one who would wear the armor of God himself in his own battle against evil. And Jesus freely gives you these weapons so that you have the necessary resources to stand firm. Each one has a divine reality that belongs to Jesus, but also a human responsibility to do, as Paul says, take them up, apply them, appropriate them to your own life. The belt of truth. The truth of God helps you to combat the lies of the evil one who is the father of all lies. And so it provides stability, strength for the Christian life. When you know and you live the truth, you can recognize the lie. You can identify the counterfeit when you know the truth. The breastplate of righteousness. He's the father of lies, but he's also the accuser. Having received the righteousness that belongs to Jesus, you are protected from his accusations of guilt before God. And so you can say, as Luther said, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know who, one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus the Son of God, and where he is, I shall be there also. Trusting in the breastplate of righteousness. So the, then the shoes of the gospel of peace. Evil loves to destroy shalom. It loves to destroy the peace of God and to sow the seeds of despair. But the good news the gospel of peace, the good news of Jesus' conquest over sin and death that conquers our despair when we're trusting in that gospel and that good news. Shalom, peace is restored between God and man. Then the shield of faith, the flaming darts of the evil one are meant to cause us to doubt, to call into question the faithfulness of God but faith in the gracious promises of God, which are all yes and amen in Jesus, protects us during those seasons of doubt. It doesn't mean that you won't doubt. It just means that you will be protected during those seasons. It gives us confidence, not in ourselves, not in our ability to believe, but it gives you confidence in the faithfulness of God, whose promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And then the helmet of salvation. Salvation in Jesus protects us from the fear of God's wrath. And it imparts hope. Hope for a final resurrection, a final salvation in the end of time. And then lastly, the sword of the Spirit. The word of God is given to us as a sharp 
weapon. A sharp weapon to put on our own attack against the evil forces. Doing exactly what Jesus did when he was tempted in the desert. Do you remember what he said? His response was always, it is written, it is written, it is written. I will not believe the lie like my first Adam. Why? Because it is written. Thus saith the Lord. But you have to know the truth in order to live the truth. You have to know the word of God in order to live out the word of God. These are your weapons. They belong to Jesus. They belong first to him, but he freely gives them to you. So take them up. Take them up, put them to work, receive the strength of God, and take up the weapons of God against the lies and the schemes of the evil one. He gives you his strength, and he gives you his very own weapons in this battle. Then lastly, to stand firm, you need tactics. Verses 18 through 20. He concludes this series, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all saints and also for me. The tactics of standing firm against the spiritual forces of evil, evil and against your own sinful inclinations and temptations are prayer and watchfulness. These are the tactics that God gives you. Notice that Paul doesn't attach some piece of armor or weaponry to these things because this is the way you implement the weapons of God. You can think of watchfulness as the body that wears the armor and prayer as the, uh, as the hand that wields the sword. So we participate. We actually engage in this spiritual battle by praying to God expressing our dependence on him and by keeping watch over our lives and the situations that surround us. We pay attention to the thoughts, to the inclinations, to the desires, to the actions of our lives and to the story that informs them. Jesus used synonymous language with, with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, in Matthew 26, he, he scolds Peter, James, and John for falling asleep. He says to them, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We have to recognize our need. Recognize that our flesh is profoundly weak. But Jesus has given us tactics. By his grace, he utilizes those tactics to protect us, to strengthen us. Jesus here is shaping his disciples, teaching them and training them that the tactics to battle temptation is to simply watch, pay attention, and to pray. Pay attention to your sinful inclinations and pray for yourself and for others. And so you need strength. You need weaponry. And you need tactics to stand firm in the Christian life. Uh, have y'all heard of John Gottman? Maybe some of you have. John Gottman is one of the foremost marriage therapists in our country. Uh, and, he's one, uh, uh, and one of his observations 
about marital breakdown is this phenomenon he calls flooding. Uh, We've all experienced this in some form or fashion. In marriage, in other relationships, in the workplace, watching someone cut you off uh, in the street. Flooding is when in the middle of conflict, you grow emotionally overwhelmed. And, uh, and you begin to have physio- a physiological response. Your heart begins to race. Your hands get sweaty. Your skin gets blotchy or your mouth gets dry. And if you don't know how to manage your physiological response, you'll likely go into what's known as fight, flight, or freeze. You will either begin to fight, vying for position, or you will flee and run away, or you will simply freeze, clam up. You grow so overwhelmed that your natural inclinations kick in. And Gottman says that the two tactics to deal with flooding is to first pay attention to what's happening. Be watchful. Pay attention to your body's response, to the situation around you, to the story that informs that response. Why are you responding this way? And then second, to soothe. He uses the word soothe, to manage your emotions. Some people go for a walk, some some people take a few deep breaths, Others love to punch a punching bag. We got a punching bag for Jack because this is going to be great for him. Others love to exercise. But the important piece is that you don't allow these overwhelming emotions to hijack or to cripple you when you're you're outmatched by your personal emotions. You need strategies to stand firm. And And spiritual conflict is similar to deal with the onslaught of evil, to deal with the sinful inclinations of our own hearts, we have to first recognize what's happening, what's happening inside us, and even why is it happening. Then we soothe. We engage God in prayer, expressing our dependence on him. So what is that natural inclination for you? What's that sinful response that evil would love to exploit for its own purposes? What is that sinful inclination that the spiritual forces of evil would love to co-opt to undo shalom in your life, to undo peace? Whatever that temptation is, whether it's anger, Outbursts of rage, lust, thirst for power, criticism, or contempt. Pay attention. Pay attention to those temptations. Recognize them for what they are. They are intruders into the renewed life God is shaping in you. And take the next step. Pray. Plug into the power source of God's grace and his strength. Prayer is one of the means of grace, one of the very ordinary means of grace, the means of accessing the grace of God. Express your dependence on him, your need for him to act, and trust him. Trust him to strengthen you, to take up his weapons, to offer them to you. 
and be engaging in that battle. By engaging there, God will strengthen you. He will empower you to stand firm in the Christian life. Let's ask him for his help. Almighty God, we do give you thanks that you are gracious and merciful, that we are not called to be strong in ourselves and in the strength of our own might, but we are called to be strengthened in you and in the strength of your might. We pray, Lord, that Christ Church would be a place where that happens, where we call upon you in truth, leaning on you, trusting in you to be strengthened. And Lord, hear us as we call on you this morning, as we come to you expressing the concerns of our world, of our church, and of our city. Lord, we pray for Daniel and Abby Egilus, serving with Serge in Lima, Peru. We ask you to be gracious to them. Use their ministry to strengthen the churches in Latin America. Use Daniel's ministry in the seminaries there to, uh, to provide well-trained, competent pastors to churches all around Latin America. Would his ministry reach further than he can even see? Lord, we pray for Tommy Park, campus minister at RU, uh, with RUF at the University of North Florida. We ask that you would bless him as he prepares for another year of gospel ministry on the campus at UNF. Pray that you would give him wisdom and discernment, would you give him strength and endurance as he walks with students through the season of their lives. We pray for all the sister churches of ours in the North Florida Presbytery as they all gather this morning. Would they gather around your word, around your table, around prayer? And would you minister your grace to each of them, to their pastors and to the congregations? And Father, we lift up our President Joe Biden, our Governor Ron DeSantis, our Mayor Lenny Curry, and all in authority, asking that you would be gracious to them. Would you teach them to do justice and to love mercy, to walk humbly with you? Would you teach them to work righteousness and justice? And we pray for the sick and for the suffering of Christ Church. Pray that you would be present to comfort and to strengthen. We lift up Barb Day, Mo Dickinson, Sue Forsyth, Elizabeth Garnett, Linda Gibbs, recovering from shoulder surgery, Gar Garganis, Bob Moore, Wayne Noble, Sandy Reynolds, Viona Harima, and Steve and Dina Beaver. Lord, we pray that you would comfort and strengthen these. Would you bind up their wounds and minister your grace to them? And finally, Lord, we pray for the children and for the youth of Christ Church, asking that you would be gracious to them, to draw them to yourself from a young age. Would you teach them to love and to serve you all their days. We pray particularly for Whitaker and for Griffin and for Bennett. Ask that you would give these boys faith, that they would trust you and serve you all their days. 
We lift all these prayers up to you in humble expectation of your answer. In the name of our Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.